welcoming you back to be in the know as we look forward to an absolute cracking weekend of action. It is ultimately potentially the story of the season. It's Chelsea versus Manchester City at Stamford Bridge. James, for you, how is that shaping up after looking at the last weekend's action? Yeah, I mean, it's the game of the season so far, isn't it? And um, uh, it's going to be a fascinating test, really, of, of, of how far Chelsea have come um, in terms of transitioning from Champions League winners to having the stamina and the durability to, to mount a serious Premier League title challenge. I guess in many ways, it's it's the sort of the, the team that got their big striker versus the team that didn't. You know, obviously, City tried to sign Harry Kane and, and, and didn't manage it. Chelsea did what Chelsea tend to do in the, in the transfer market and were very ruthless and got their man and paid, paid top whack to do it. And Romelu Lukaku has started very well. I thought he played okay against uh, Spurs without without scoring. He wasn't great at Liverpool, but was very good at against Arsenal. There's still a bit of a question mark about his record against the top six. So it's going to be, it's going to be a big test for him. Um, I suspect, obviously, it's, it's a repeat of the Champions League final from last season. I suspect Guardiola won't make the same mistake again as he did in that final to, to essentially line up without a holding midfielder. He didn't play with Rodri or Fernandinho. He had Gundogan in a midfield three and, and, and had Kevin De Bruyne playing as a false nine. I suspect that that won't be how he lines up because it, it really didn't help City that night. Um, and Tuchel certainly won the tactical battle there. So... Um, I suppose ultimately he's still got the same issue in that he doesn't have that centre forward Guardiola to be able to call on. Um, it was it was a clearly an issue for for Chelsea as well back then. They had Timo Werner who started that final and he's continued to struggle. Thought he looked desperately off it when he came off the bench, even in a game that Chelsea really had already won um, against Tottenham. So, you know, it really is about can Lukaku define a really big game against a top opponent and secure a result that will. I think if Chelsea beat City, I don't think there's any doubt that they will be, along with Liverpool, the team to beat this season. I'm going to come to you, Samuel, because what a bizarre result for Pep Guardiola against Southampton. It was, and I think the most bizarre aspect of it was the, the VAR decision in the, the second half. Uh, I, th I think the only debate about it was whether it was a red card or not, and I certainly didn't think it was a red card for Carl Walker, but it was pretty extraordinary that 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 decision was overturned. Uh, I think as I think the commentator on match of the day two uh, for the West Ham game summed up the the Kufal Ronaldo instant quite well when he said that if that had been given, it it wouldn't have been overturned. But because it wasn't given, it it wasn't going to be overturned either. Sometimes you get those, but with the Walker challenge, it was just I, I couldn't quite believe that. that one, John Moss was advised to actually check the monitor uh, to check whether it was a penalty because it was a penalty. And then not only did he check the monitor, that he decided that he was wrong and he, he didn't give it. And uh, we, we all know Simon Peach, he was in the away end. It's, it's, it's common knowledge that he is a Southampton fan anyway. But he, he said at the time that he saw it live that it, it just looked like a penalty and he couldn't quite believe in that instance that, that it had been overturned. But I, I suppose with City that they are going to get results like that this season because although they've they've already had two 5-0 wins where they've not signed uh, an out-and-out -out number nine who's a top-tier number nine as well, there are going to be a lot of games where they're, they're just profligate or, or impotent and they've, they've got a lot of great attackers in their side, but there are too many 
there are just too many holes in that team at the moment. I, I think the midfield area as well. I, I, I wonder if Fernandinho's been given a year too many there. Rodri's a pretty steady player, but I don't think he has the authority that Fernandinho um, does, or and maybe he will in time. And, and of course, the left-back issue is something that's been um, a recurring theme for a number of years now. But ultimately, it is that number nine role. And there will be teams who, in a very resolute way, will, will, will get their luck against City. And in Southampton's case, they were a penalty kick away from possibly winning that game, but then they had that penalty deprived of them. So uh, I, I don't think City are... They're nowhere near at the optimum as they were probably midway through last season was when they really got going. But they don't have that fear factor that they have had in previous seasons, even in the season where Liverpool were the runaway winners. I just look at City this season, there were just too many caveats with them. Even Kevin De Bruyne, who on his days is possibly the best player in the league. There have been too many injury issues there over the last year or so. And given his age, you wonder how much longer can he continue at the high standards that he set over the last six years with them. So, uh, as, as I said, I, I, I don't think that will be the last time that City have a nil-nil this season in the Premier League or fail to score in the Premier League this season. You talk about the false nine-roll. Kevin De Bruyne, actually, after that little period Manchester City had off with COVID, um, he did come into that false nine-roll at Stamford Bridge and it mm. worked magnificently. It hasn't been working with Sterling, obviously, Kevin De Bruyne was taken out of that game with uh, that Rudiger smash, in which he's downplayed a lot, but it was pretty nasty. Um, there'll be a lot of incentive there for City, won't there? Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, that you, you're right. That game last season was a real turning point, wasn't it? Because it was Gundogan was playing in a slightly further forward position. I think he scored that day and he sort of went on that incredible run um, which, which really took took City to the to the title, really. It was, it was the turning point for, for the whole title race um but they've not been as effective with with that system this season um Ferran Torres has, has played there primarily as, as a false nine I think he's still uh, I think he's better and he's certainly going to be a top player I think he still needs a bit of adaptation and there's still a question mark about whether the best setup is Torres through the middle and then Gabriel Jesus who really you'd think is their only recognized striker but it seems to forge a new career playing out on the right um the the composition of that attack is still is still uncertain and and I think if you contrast that with Chelsea you know that it's going to be Mount and Havertz playing behind Lukaku it's very settled you could probably pick that entire team now actually and that I think is a reflective uh, reflection of how well Tuchel's got them drilled how how efficient how smooth everything's running there at the moment he can carry it won't last and people you know Chelsea more than most. It can turn very quickly for managers, but at the moment he can't do anything wrong. I thought his intervention to change Mount for for Kante at half time uh, at Tottenham was was the game changer. That really, you know, they took control of the midfield after that. And, and you know, the fact that he could see those things mid game really really puts him up there as alongside Klopp, obviously, as being the real test managerially for Guardiola. It'd be, it'd be a fascinating game. Um, and I, I want to have a quick look. Um glance towards Goodison Park because I think if we'd spoken to you last weekend we'd have a very different viewpoint but a bit of a step back this weekend no 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 I am um, I, I think um Rafa Benitez has done more in five games for Everton in terms of understanding what the the fans want in terms of getting a feel for the club 
than four managers had done five years before him, which might seem a bit of a a, a brave thing to say on the back of a three 0 defeat. But um, Rafa's, uh, I won't say he's had he's, he's working with one hand tied behind his back, but he certainly hasn't been able to buy the players that he wanted because of financial fair play constraints. He's only spent two mil, less than two million pounds on players that he knows, but he's addressed areas of Everton's team that he he realised needed were weak. He he wanted the team to get um, to be stabilised and get playing. Um, They got beaten at Villa Park. Lots of teams will lose at Villa Villa Park. Um, If Damari Gray scores at 0-0, makes it 1-0, it's a completely different game. Um, Rafa's doing doing some great work. Um, And I just hope that the people stick with him and give him the patience because Everton, the last thing that Everton need is, is more upheaval and another another change of manager. They need a period of stability to progress. And James, in London, you have a busy weekend ahead of you because Arsenal versus Tottenham. Now, where are we? Is this the green shoots for Arsenal or will Tottenham just trample them? Because while we're looking for certainty everywhere, in our lives in 2021, we're not really getting it in London, are we? <laughs> no, we're not, and and probably less so at the Emirates than anywhere else. Um, it, it's look, I mean, there's a lot of external pressure on Mikel Arteta that has not been reflected internally, chiefly because they believe that once they get everyone fit, they've got a good team. He has now got to the stage where he's more or less got everybody available. Um, and we're going to find out really whether all of the, the faith that they've shown in Arteta, he was absolutely pivotal in, in the six summer signings they've made um, and some of the players they've jettisoned and some of the players they're not using at the moment. I think particularly of, of Alexander Lacazette, one or two other examples as well of, of high, more, maybe higher profile players, Hector Bellerin who's gone out on loan, you know, who might think might have been able to retain or use in a, in a different way to keep them part of the group or key part of the group. Um, that's all been Arteta, you know. He he, they have made him front and centre, and at the moment, all they've got to show for it is two one nil wins against teams that you know Norwich and Burnley, with all due respect to them, are probably going to struggle this season. Uh, and they weren't necessarily convincing in either of those games. So this is this is really an, the biggest test of Arteta's mini revolution, if you like, over those two matches. Um, and, and equally for, for for Nuno Espirito Santo, I mean, he's only eight games in, but you know, it was it was nasty at the end. I thought yesterday there were there were you know there, I mean stadium was virtually empty, but there, there were there were boos for those from those who did remain. There's obviously the big question mark about Harry Kane's motivation. Um, it was very much a patched up team. He had a couple of players, you know, Romero and Lacelso, who've been training all week in Croatia. I mean, they broke they broke club protocol, broke club rules to go and play for their country. That that is not a great look. And then when you throw that in with the injury issues they've got. And the fact that it's three goals in five games, it's not been great football. Um, I'm all for giving managers time and it certainly would be premature to start talking about his job being under threat. But to lose to Arsenal, particularly given how vulnerable Arsenal have been of late, that would be a big setback for Nuno. And and really, it's it, I could see that game ending in a draw because I think it's one of those where a defeat is far, far more reaching consequences for a defeat than any victory could have. So I wonder whether there will be a little bit of safety first in there. But then again, when these two teams tend to meet, they tend to be goals. So it's a, it's a tough one to call because they're both so vulnerable. 
in a sense, with Nuno and many questioning the tactics, questioning the performances of some players, um, going into a match against Romelu Lukaku and keeping him quiet um, would be considered a success if you come out of a draw, certainly not when you come on a defeat like that. So very hard for the forwards when you're not going toe-to-toe with that with the, with the three at the back, with the two wing-backs, but that's essentially why he did it. So you can see why he used those tactics. Would they work better against Arsenal? I think the biggest issue for Nuno, really, is that the start of the game was very good against Chelsea, but he didn't react when Tuchel tweaked the uh, the, the Chelsea approach. And, and um, he needs to be more proactive with that and he needs to react to things quicker. It does very much feel as though there is a plan and they did, you know, and I thought Spurs were good in, the, in that first half. There, there was plenty of energy, plenty of dynamism about them. And they're going to need that um, at Arsenal because, you know, habitually Arsenal struggle when they're, you know, Seth is trying to get them to play out from the back. It's very, you know, it's really the main reason why they bought Ben White because they thought, you know, they paid a premium for him. They paid £50 million to Brighton for him. And that was essentially because they think he can be the, the, the key player who can, who can bring the ball out from defence. Now, if you press Arsenal high up, pitch, seen it time and time again at the Emirates particularly, you know, you can win the ball there, turn it over quickly and, and you know, and you use then Son and Kane and your you, you good players come into play at the top end of the pitch. That I think will be a fascinating part of it. If Spurs can replicate that energy and that intensity they showed in the first 45 against Chelsea for 90 minutes at Arsenal, then of course they have, they have a chance and they've, clearly they've got the firepower to win the game, but they're going to need, they're going to need more from Harry Kane and his positioning, I thought, was a little bit odd. He kind of started out on the left um, and was trying to drift into those central positions. He kept coming awfully deep to get involved in the play. And, you know, and that left that really left Spurs without a focal point up front. Son was sort of left against those three centre-backs and really couldn't get... Uh, it was very difficult to get him in the game. So I think they need to get Harry Kane back in his best position, get that press right. And then, of course, they've got, they've got every chance to win. So, James, ultimately, it does seem that we're turning a corner for Arteta, but um, with this match coming up, it's it's a big one for him, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I think he needs he needs a result against a, a top side to to sort of revalidate um, his methods. Really, I mean, he's he, he kind of made his name really at, at Arsenal by beating the big teams. He beat Man City, he beat Chelsea to win the FA Cup. He beat Liverpool at the back end of, of, of that season as well. Um, he's not been able to replicate that of, of late. And, you know, OK, they lost to Chelsea in Manchester City at the start of this season. And you'd sort of expect that to some extent, given how good those two sides are. But there are ways of losing. And, that, and they were miles off it against Chelsea and even further off it against City at the Etihad. So, um they need to show really a, a sort of vision and a pathway for the future. That That's why you spend £140 million. The pressure comes with that. It's going to take a little bit of time because of the, the sheer volume of turnover of players at the club. But we've reached a point where I think he needs to start producing performances alongside the results. Two one nil wins against Burnley and Norwich are not going to shift the needle in terms of the opinion one way or the other about Mikel Arteta. But a big win against Tottenham might. And that's what's at stake for him. And just looking ahead, a very quick one. Brentford, Liverpool. Yeah. Is it straightforward for Klopp? No, no, absolutely not. Um, I mean, I watched Brentford on Saturday afternoon against Wolves and 
two nil could have easily been four nil. They were they were they were superb. Um, saw how they played against Arsenal on the opening uh, opening night. Um, they, I, I, I would say, categorically, they will comfortably stay up Brentford, and this is the kind of occasion that they will love at their new stadium. So it's going to be, um, yes, Liverpool are in good form, but um, Brentford, this is a this is it's going to be a challenging fixture, and anybody who thinks it's going to be a formality would do well to think again. And Sam, you've got to look to Aston Villa, Manchester United after Aston Villa's result at the weekend. A, a big showing from Manchester United at the London Stadium, but it wasn't straightforward for them. Is that a potential banana skin for them now? Possibly. Um, Villa has, have had some decent results this season. They, they didn't get off to a great start against Watford, but I think they've done a pretty decent job of offsetting Jack Grealish's departure with the signings they've made. They should be aiming to finish in the top 10. There's an awful lot of ambition there to, to get further up the table as well. Um, I know Christian Perslow did not have a very good time at all at Liverpool, to say the least, but he, he does seem to have a pretty good rapport with Villa supporters there. But the way United are playing at home this season, they've they've scored nine goals. They've, they've not been particularly convincing defensively in those games against Newcastle and Leeds. I think Newcastle in particular should have should have taken uh, some of the chances they had before they, they even got the equaliser um, the other week. Uh, but already, just just looking at the impact that Rafael Varane has had, although that's not been borne out so much in clean sheets and, and United have conceded, I think, in four of, of their five games so far this season. But Varane is a big upgrade on, on Victor Lindelof. Um, th- there are other issues in the team, mainly. Main, in, in the defence, mainly Aaron Wan-Bissaka, um, whose, whose form has, has been pretty iffy over the last year. But David De Gea has regained form. It, it is a game that United should be expecting to win. If, if they want to be title challengers this season, which is the bare minimum that's required of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, then these are the games that they are going to have to win. Um, it, was, it was a pretty gritty win over Villa last season. They, they won 2-1 um, via a penalty, I think it was. On New Year's Day, it might have been, and they were they were clinging on at the end. But so far this season, certainly in the home games, uh, whenever they've conceded, and Leeds and Newcastle both pulled it back to one one in those games, United have responded pretty swiftly, and then they've gone on and killed the game. Uh, and I suppose the reassuring thing for Solskjaer is that the best periods that they've enjoyed in their home matches so far this season have come in the last the, the last half an hour of it, where they seem to have actually become stronger. So, I mean, they've they've got so many attacking choices, and the, the midweek League Cup games this week, they're they're not going to have much for bearing in terms of the team he decides. I think he'll probably make eleven changes against West Ham on Wednesday night. The issue United have got this weekend is that I suppose it was a kick off time that was reserved for three p.m., but it was brought forward to twelve thirty p.m. So. Um, not a great way to treat supporters. The reason for that was that there was a, a clash with a concert at the the cricket ground just just down the road. But that was known about, I think, as far back as eighth of June. So to change kickoff time very very late in the day um, has, has not gone down well. But um, otherwise, it would have been a rare occurrence of two back to back home games at three pm on a Saturday in the same month uh, at Old Trafford, which obviously doesn't happen very often at all in this day and age. But Again, with with Villa, they they have lost lost some aura with with Grealish going. Of, of course, they were they were always going to. He's he's such a brilliant player. That's why Manchester City have signed him and spent hundred million pounds 
on him. But it is still a game that United are expected to win and, and really need to win if they are to keep pace with, um, as it's looking at the moment, Liverpool and Chelsea. And just looking ahead, a very quick one. Brentford, Liverpool. Yeah. Is it straightforward for Klopp? No, no, absolutely not. Um, I mean, I watched Brentford on Saturday afternoon against Wolves and 2-0 could have easily been 4-0. They were, they were, they were superb. Um, saw how they played against Arsenal on the opening, opening night. Um, they, I, I, I would say categorically they will comfortably stay up Brentford. And this is the kind of occasion that they will love at their new stadium. So it's going to be, um, yes, Liverpool are in good form, but um, Brentford, this is a, this is, it's going to be a challenging fixture. And anybody who thinks it's going to be a formality would do well to think again. We haven't had to talk about VAR so much this season, but this weekend, a lot of question marks over going to the screen, not going to the screen when it seemed like a very good case to do so. A bit of a step back this weekend, it felt. Yeah, uh, it's, it, it, it's been it, it, it's been very disappointing that that, that VAR's taken the headlines because um, it'd been very refreshing that we've been talking about football. Um, there'd been nothing, no real sort of incidents that I can think of in the in the, in the first four rounds. But um, felt sorry for Cristiano Ronaldo. He should have had a penalty at West Ham. That that, that was there was a, a couple of that he, that he could have had, but one for certain. Um, I've no idea why that 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 one for Southampton was 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 pulled back. I've watched it a number of times. Can't understand it. Um, and unfortunately, um, again, you see, you, you, you wonder one, one of these days um, how costly one of these decisions is going to be in terms of a manager's job. Um, there's Ralph Hasenhutl with, 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 with the greatest respect to him. He's fighting for every single point that he, he, he gets. A win at Manchester City could have been absolutely huge, transformative for, the, for their season. Um and full credit to him for um, for being so measured in terms of how he how he responded to everything because he would have been well within his right to blow a gasket because as as Samuel said I'm sure I'm sure Simon Peach's gaskets are still absolutely blazing at the moment. <laughs> well, we have properly put the world to rights, and we are going to send off the show in style with the whole reason I brought this podcast back because I just simply love it. Um, our unsung hero of the week. It's all right to go season as we're so early into it. Go to you first, Dom. James Milner. Um, he came in. A um, lovely piece from you. A lovely piece from you this week. Everyone find it, read it, please. <laughs> that's very kind of you to say. Um, no, he was um, thrust into um, the starting 11 on Saturday morning because Trent Alexander-Arnold was unwell. Um, had to come up against Wilfred Zaha and he, play, he just played like James Milner always plays. Absolutely relentless. Um, no sort of, no ego, no fuss, no anything. Just played his part in a very important win. Um, typically of him afterwards, he said, you know, there was still plenty of things that he could prove on, uh, improve on, stuff that he hadn't done well. But, um, and there was a lovely little moment when he was talking to us that Jürgen Klopp came up and put his arm around him and says, don't listen to him, he loves playing in that position with a, with a, with a big chuckle. Um, but no, I, I think it's it's amazing that, that James is um, is going to end up spending um, the the most part of his career at Liverpool. He's into his seventh season now, which is more than he's been at uh, all the other clubs he's he's played for. And he's again, he's made himself uh, he'll go down in history in, in, in terms of I think he's the 
the best free signing that Liverpool have ever made. And um, there's plenty more, um, plenty more contribution for him to come. I can, that's for sure. Uh, a, a true great wherever he's played. And I think it was so fitting that he came out and talked about the Super League at, at Ellen Road when it was all kicking off because he really understands the true grind of football and he's such a servant to the game. James, for you, who's your unsung hero of the week? Um, I'll say Thomas Partey because um, it sort of it wasn't really a game for midfielders. It, never, it doesn't tend to be at Burnley. It's all about, you know... The, dealing with the long ball threat and, and, the, and the direct challenge that they pose. But it was his first start for Arsenal, first start of the season. And I think we saw a vision, really, of um, the way Mikel Arteta wants his team to play going forward because he was he, he was the sole midfield pivot in a 4-3-3. And, and playing Partey there meant that he could get Odegaard, Smith-Rowe, Aubameyang, Saka and Pepe all in the same team. And for a team that's been criticised for its lack of creativity and, 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 and lack of goal threat, you suddenly look at the balance of that team and think, if that's the way he's going to go, that's quite an exciting setup. They've got to obviously combine as a team and, and, and learn to play with each other. But when you've got two ball players in the centre of midfield like that, with Smith Rowe and Odegaard, and then obviously the attacking threat that that, that front three can pose, um, you start to see why the club have not put as much pressure on, on Arteta internally as as he's probably feeling externally because they, they think once he gets these players fit, once he gets um, you know, the summer signings bedded in, that actually there might be a team there that's that's worth looking at going forward and, 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 a, and a clear vision that can improve on, on two successive eighth-place finishes. But there's no doubt about it that Partey is absolutely key. You know, keeping him fit over the next sort of, few months is going to be absolutely vital to, to the way that Arteta wants to play. Very nice. Thank you very much. Sam Mule. In, in a weekend where a Spanish goalkeeper uh, took the acclaim, I'm going to go for another one. Uh, Robert Sanchez has flown under the radar at Brighton when I think two seasons ago he was playing for Rochdale on loan and Rochdale are now in League Two. And Sanchez has established himself very, very quietly, but very, very impressively as a as a number one Premier League goalkeeper. He's he's in the Spain squad. He's in the Spain squad at the European Championship. I think he got his first cap earlier this month as well. Uh, I just think it's one of those pretty remarkable stories. Uh, there, there was a point where I think Adrian Kajumba in, in Dom's paper in the mail uh, did a piece with him where it was suggested that he might have switched allegiance to, to England before the Euros. But of course, he's he's gone with Spain. He's He's got his first Spain cap. He's he's getting in the squad ahead of Kepa Riva Balaga, who I know he's not number one at Chelsea anymore, but it's, it's still some going. And I think that that's all happened in the space of barely barely a year, really. I think he, his last game for Rochdale was was in March 2020, and then obviously the football shut down, life shut down for everyone. And he's used that that period of lockdown uh, remarkably well, not just to become Brighton's number one and, and oust Matt Ryan, who had done pretty well at Brighton after they got promoted to the Premier League, but he's. He's attained international honours, and I think it's it's only fair that Brighton get some credit given the the brilliant start that that they've made to the season and that call of taking a very experienced Australian goalkeeper out of the side and putting in a rookie who had this pretty flaky spell at, at third tier level in England. Um, 
Rochdale fans weren't quite sure what to make about him with him trying to pass it out of the back on cabbage patch pitches, but he's he's done phenomenally well. And uh, as I said, I don't think too many people have, have, have spoken about how well he's done, apart from maybe Adrian in that, that chat he did with him earlier this year. In the absolute spirit of unsung hero, you win. We love we love James Milner. We know the potential of party, but all both both excellent, excellent calls and 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 a lovely article, Dom as well. But uh, yeah, Samuel, you're winning that this week. Many congratulations. Um, it's been an absolute joy to put the world to rights with you all. Thank you, James. Thank you, Dom. Thank you, Samuel. Signing out for tonight. 